this horrible year never end? We've never lost a year before, and I'll be damned if we're gonna lose one on my shift. You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Happy New Year! Hi everybody, this is Lola Slider and you're listening to the end of year recap podcast from The Piercing Wizard. With me today is my co-host Ryan Willette. Ryan, how are you feeling today? Sick. Sick? Sick. Sick as a dog. Sick, well sick maybe not as a dog because I think dogs at least wag their tails and are happy when they're mm-hmm. sick. Uh, I'm in Glasgow with you right now and I think I caught a, a travel bug on the way over and it's been pretty obnoxious like having like a short amount of time to spend with you and and being poorly i'm okay though because of my superior glaswegian immune system yeah well it's because you live in the har in a shower drain yeah you live in a shower drain (laughs) and it's impossible for you to get sick here so um i'm a fragile delicate american and i caught a a cold i caught i caught a a cold i got the sniffles on the flight over um we're gonna do a little bit of a recap for the year and kind of talk about where we think piercing is right now and, and where piercing might be going in the in the short-term future. I want to remind people listening that if you're interested in attending the 2024 APP conference, but you don't necessarily think that you have the financial means to attend on your own, um, this is scholarship season. So you can go to safepiercing.org and you can read all the information about how to apply for one of the legacy scholarships. And I've really seen it change um, lives and careers and all you have to do is, is put in the effort. So. Go to the website, uh, read about the application, submit an application. You only have a few more weeks left to do it. I'm pretty sure that wraps up around the end of January 2024. So take the time to check it out. Um, I'm also going to be doing a live seminar in Dallas, Texas on Sunday, January 28th, 2024. So you still have time to uh, get registered, get verified, sign up for that. If you're interested, I'll be doing a a mix of information. But you can get more info about that at my website, uh, ryanpba.com. So in 2023, uh, just like a couple of like little numbers, we made 15 podcasts and that's not a lot. And sometimes I feel kind of guilty that I'm not putting out more podcasts because like there was a point where I would put them out once a week. So in a year I'd put out, you know, 50 ish episodes and now I'm down to 15 episodes. Um, I feel like we put out some some really good ones this year, though. And you were saying that your favorite was which one? The downsizing. There was um, one that we did that was downsizing retainers referrals, and that was from back in March. And um, I just like that we had a right good whinge. <laughs> like I, I like I like complaining with you on the podcast. Sometimes I don't think that we say anything terrible. But I mean, sometimes you're surrounded with a lot of conversation about how we should just constantly be grateful, constantly be grateful, gratitude, love, everything, you know, and it's, 
I feel all of that stuff. I feel really grateful, but it doesn't change the fact that there are parts of the job just like any job that sometimes you need to have a bit of a whinge about. So I enjoyed doing that. It's kind of indulgent. And um, I think I also really enjoyed the podcast that we did live at BMXNet with Kale Roberts. Um, I thought that they were a really, really great guest to have on. And I liked some of the conversation and insight that came up from that. So if you haven't listened to it, I would go back and listen to that. What about you? Well, I I like all of them for their own reasons. You know, obviously I'm I'm the person doing a lot of the the editing and, and planning and stuff for these podcasts. So it's like I don't I do nothing. Well, no, you, you, you like you make significant contributions to the the conversation, and like I don't think that they would be as fun without you and as informative without you. Like I, I think my solo perspective can only go so far and a lot of times you make me rethink my positions and we can have these nice conversations about the the different perspectives of maybe the same issue but when I invite people on it's because I think they have something important to talk about or or a good perspective when we do episodes without like a guest um, we're talking about a subject that's important to us and that we've we've put a lot of, of thought into so they're all special to me for different reasons um, one of the, the things that really sticks out for me in, in 2023 is how many people have sent me messages saying that they've like just discovered the podcast and that they've gone back. And there are some people who have been listening to them in order from like episode one. And it's like kind of cringy for me because um, there were a lot of different points in my career where I, I'd maybe not want to revisit them exactly. And... Uh, some of the the actual like quality of the episodes was mixed because I, I didn't know how to make a podcast for quite a while and debatable if I even do now. But um, I just want to say thank you. Um, if you're one of those people who is kind of newish to the podcast and you went back and listened to some of the older content, um, there's a, a lot of stuff out there and there are a lot of important voices and, and perspectives. So I, I appreciate people listening still. For people that have been listening since the beginning, I'm probably like the late stage Poochie character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now, Lola. <laughs> well, no, I also think that if people have been listening for a while, um, like as much as I love the sound of my own voice, I'm, I'm pretty sure that people appreciate having an alternative perspective. And, you know, arguably you're much smarter than I am. So I, I think that you've, you've changed the podcast for the better. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, I made also roughly 15 or so videos for my Patreon page. Um, that's what is, is probably the, the main reason as to why I haven't put out weekly podcast episodes, because I just don't have the time and the energy to do like all of it all the time. So um, a lot of my energy is now focused on, on the Patreon videos, and I put out quite a few there. And I, I have like loads of ideas. Like I'm still really motivated for that. The podcast, sometimes I have trouble finding motivation, finding subjects. Um, I really like it when people give us suggestions and, and ideas for shows and we can kind of run wild and like ruin their idea. Um, but uh, the, the videos, like I've, I've still been really enjoying making the Patreon videos. I made a little bonus video for people at the end of the year showing uh, an 8-gauge pubic piercing. And it's not something that I'm going to like really you know, promote on my social media, be like, Hey, come and check out this video about pubic piercings because pubic piercings have such like a low viability, uh, for, for long-term success. But yeah, it was really fun to do the piercing. It was really fun to capture the video and, and to publish it for people. So, um, if you're interested, check it out, but it, that's not one of those piercings where I'm going to try to imply that it's like, if you go through the steps, like 
pubic piercings are going to heal great for you because they're probably not. Have you ever done a pubic piercing? I have. Yeah? How did it, it work out? Fine. Like, it, it looked just the same as the one that you're showing in the, the video, but I don't know what became of it. I never got a, an update on it kind yeah. of years later. But I think with pubic piercings, they're just, they exist in that space where a lot of people want to get them because they've read or heard that it can be a partner-pleasing piercing, like for grinding. But then obviously grinding on a surface piercing is yeah. like the worst thing for it. Yeah. So it's kind of... It kind of exists in that realm of like there are going to be those rare clients that can heal it and and have it the same as with the you know like the madison piercing i've seen a couple of people getting them recently and some of them will probably heal and it's just one of those things where it's kind of a roll of the dice but i think that's why with pubic piercings in particular they are so inconsistent you just don't really know what's going to be happening to them what's going to be getting thrown at them you know yeah i know that there's like some people on my patreon who who want to see more general content but i also am, am aware that there are some piercers who are just kind of specifically not interested in genital content. So I don't want to make too much of it. I want to have a mix, but I got to say that I'm really excited when I get around to making that half a Dravia video because yeah. I have two examples. Um, and it's like, what what are the odds that you would even do two half a Dravia piercings at all? You know, it, like a basically the, the top part of an apodravia piercing on someone with a sub-incision uh, meatotomy. So really interesting to get those two examples. So uh, I'll do that. And I have, you know, a handful of other videos too. I recorded a labrette piercing. When was the last time you did just like a, a traditional labrette piercing? About a week ago. Okay, fine. But to be fair, before that, it was a few months. And for me, the labrette piercing is probably like more intimidating than a septum piercing to me. Yeah. Um, like I, septums, I see all the time and come in and yeah they make me a little bit nervous and I get just as, as stressed as everyone else but the labrette piercing for me is higher pressure more stress because I don't do them that often and they're one of those piercings where like a septum central face but unlike something like a bridge piercing which is central face the labrette has so much more movement and it's resting against a person's teeth and how they speak and how they talk and how they eat. All of that stuff is going to affect how it looks in the initial instance with the larger jewellery. So it's it, it's one of those ones that makes my butthole tighten up. You know what I did for it? If you try to take a classic piercing that you've done a whole bunch of times with like more of a classic method, clamps as an example, or if, if someone out there is a cannula piercer and they, they try to do a blade style piercing, whatever. Sometimes you don't get a great result because you're trying too many new things on something that you don't get to do often enough where you retain 100% of your muscle memory. So when this labret came in, my first instinct was like, well, you know, I, I would do it freehand, inside out, pressure marks, tool free, yada yada. But I was like, but I can't even remember the last time I did a labret piercing. So I just, I busted out clamps. Same. I just clamped it because like I like that was what my my biggest amount of muscle memory was on because I did hundreds if not thousands of them like earlier in my career in the late 90s and early 2000s labret piercings were super commonplace. I was doing more of those than almost any other facial piercing for a long time, certainly more than like nostril piercings at the time. So it's like, well, what's wrong with clamps? Nothing. It's just that I don't usually use clamps for a lot of other stuff these days, but I thought that that was the most appropriate uh, method to use, so I just busted out clamps and I got a video of it. Well, one of the things that I work on with my apprentice is understanding that clamps aren't training wheels. They're like a legitimate tool for piercing that require proper technique and application. A lot of people never learn that. They just treat them like 
you know, like baby piercer tools, they don't get good results with them because they're not applying them properly a lot of the time. And then they move on to freehand piercing and they think, oh, I don't need them. They're like the stabilizers on a bike. Whereas I never felt that way. And there are still, there's not many, but the librette is one of the few piercings that I'll just set up with a clamp before I've even looked at the customer. Very rarely will I take a look at them and go, actually, you know what, I think I'd be happier without the clamps. Um, so at least nine times out of 10, I'm going to be clamping a, a lower central librette piercing. Um, and I get good results like that and I'm very comfortable with it like that. So it's one of those nice piercings to just remind you that clamps are a legitimate tool for doing your job. They're not like baby piercing tools. Right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. And I, and I know that you might want to avoid certain kinds of tools, certain kinds of piercings. Like I'm not going to bust out a clamp for like a nipple piercing or a navel piercing or something. But um, if that would give you the better result for a, a librette piercing, why not try it? And it's like, that's why I don't want modern piercers to forget about what came before and I especially don't want you trying to like I don't know out cool um, some imaginary internet piercer and be like well I'm not gonna do that it's like well I would way rather have a totally straight perfectly centered really lovely librette piercing done with a clamp than try to bust out all these other methods and have the piercing be a little bit off um, so and that language as well it does filter through to your clients because I've had many clients ask me, oh, are you clamping it? Or are you not clamping it? I had a piercer clamp this. And it's like, they already have this negative association to clamps, maybe because they have had a bad experience or possibly because they've just read a lot online about freehand piercing being better. And now they're thinking like, oh, if a piercer clamps me, it's this old fashioned kind of nineties thing. And I make a, a real habit anytime a client asks, even though the majority of the time I'm not going to be going near anyone with a clamp. If they say, oh, are you not clamping this? Um, I'll usually say like, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to. Some piercers do though, and that's fine. And I'll always make an effort of never leaning in to that narrative of like, oh, I wouldn't clamp this. Like maybe somebody else would and they'll get a result just as good as mine. So I don't like to play into those insecurities clients already have about the use of certain tools and certain equipment. Cause I think that that kind of thing just comes back around in a negative way. And that if you're in the moment, you should be keeping things positive and not taking it as an opportunity to say, well, yes, I have this special technique where I freehand because I might pull out a clamp on the next client and that's what I'll be using to give them the best results. So customers do pick up on that stuff. They hear little bits of information, fragments of information, and then they use it to make a determination. Is this place good at piercing or not? When maybe they don't have a full understanding of that information. So I do think it's important to not kind of lean in to, to clients negative interpretations of certain types of equipment that way as well. Yeah, and I, I kind of had the opposite once. I remember an interaction I had with a client where I was piercing their nipples and I went to go and start in on, on the job and I didn't have any clamps out. And they're like, you're not using a clamp? You're just going to do it freehand? And they were like, they got instantly so scared thinking that the clamp was the way that you had to do it. And that yeah. since I wasn't using a clamp, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was a really awkward conversation to have with them. You mentioned your apprentice, Jordan, and I would like to mention your apprentice Jordan also because I've seen like the huge amount of work that you two have done together this year and the growth and all that stuff so um, how how is that going for you it seems like he's he's made a lot of progress well he has made a lot of progress and I think it's important to keep looking back at it because I think in the moment a lot of the time it doesn't feel like you're learning new things when you're a year into an apprenticeship um, and you spend a lot more time like refining and honing what you know 
So there aren't as many huge groundbreaking moments. Whereas I think at, at that point, it's important to keep looking back and say like, yes, you're in the you're in the point, you're in the pocket of your apprenticeship now where it's about repetition. It's about repeating the movements over and over again. Um, applying the same basic formula to all different kinds of anatomy and adjusting it as it's needed and it does get repetitive but that's good like it should feel repetitive there should be an element of predictability that starts to form where you can trust in your decision making more and I think that it's good to just look back sometimes at some of the work from six months ago and see this huge difference when at the when at the time when you looked at it initially you might have thought oh you know it's it's not that bad it looks okay and then you compare it to work from now and it's it's suddenly really obvious how much of an improvement you've made so i think that taking loads of progress pictures is really important like those early pieces of work even pieces of work you're not completely happy with document everything it's really important to do that to help keep yourself motivated and he also went full time about two months ago now, which has made an enormous difference because now he's not splitting his time between two jobs. And the biggest, biggest difference is we always used to play the, the guess the size game. Mm-hmm. Um, before he even started apprenticing, there was a lot of stuff that I had him doing before he ever started his apprenticeship in terms of sizing and styling jewelry and that kind of thing. We did a lot of stuff. Um, to kind of prep him for starting his apprenticeship. And we would do the, you know, what size do you think I'm going to use in this? Take a look at them and what size do you think? And sometimes they would be crazy off. Like, so you, you would laugh about it and be like, that's the size you think. And you would go and get it and hold it and be like, this is the size. And he'd be like, yep. And it, mm. we would just laugh about how, like, wildly different our sizing interpretation was. And since going full time that has gotten so much tighter to the point where you know he'll write on the form what size I'm going to use and I'll be like that's the right size um so it's really more like instead of a guess he's now just needing that little bit of confirmation as to like yep that's what I was thinking and that I think has been the biggest difference like those differences in being able to size stuff and I talk about that in my sizing class is that like sizing is such an important skill. Size matters. Yeah, it's it's such an important skill to be able to have. It's so underrated. It takes such time to develop. But since going from working three days a week to working five days a week, it's like chalk and cheese. Like there's been such a difference in his ability to size things correctly. So I'm, I notice big, big differences. Um, and I think he doesn't often get the distance from himself to be able to look and see those differences. Um, but I see huge positive differences. So I think everything's going really, really well. And I think that it was worth putting as much time as we did into that kind of preliminary work, like learning how to handle jewellery, learning about pin bending, learning about the correct way to take jewellery in and out with minimal use of tools, all that kind of work that we did before actually starting the apprenticeship really allowed him to focus on other things. Like we spent six months just doing marking, skin prep and marking for all of my piercings when we worked together. I would say, you know, prep the skin. I'm going to watch you prep the skin. I want you to mark where you think it should go and try and get him further and further along in the piercing process without actually handling any sharps or anything um, and kind of build things up that way. So I don't know if other piercers take that approach, but I've been trying to just 
push him further and further along until I can basically say, I want you to get as far as you can with this. And then as soon as you feel like you're, you're a little stuck with something, ask me for help, I'll give you help. And then I want you to carry on and keep going as far as you can with it. And now he's been piercing uh, clients, offering apprentice piercing on clients for almost six months. But again, that went from being us working very limited together to working now more full-time together has made a really big difference in the volume of work and the variety of work he's able to do. I've trained a a few people and I think some of the bigger obstacles were just the volume of um, practice opportunities they had. Mm -hmm. And if it's, okay, one day a week versus several days a week, if it's um, one time a day versus an entire day of opportunities, like the more opportunities you have to grow, the, the more you grow, the faster you grow. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to, to see where he's at. Um, it's been a challenge for me as well, as anytime you have an apprentice, it's always a learning opportunity for the person doing the teaching as well. You know, I'm a very controlling of my environment and being able to let go of that and really like let somebody else have a try at doing something without micromanaging it. That's also something that I've had to get better and better at because day one, apprentice supervised appointment piercing, I'm practically doing everything but holding the holding the tools for him, you know, saying, okay, now do this, now do this, now do this. And that might have been necessary at that time. But as he's gotten better, I've also had to let myself step back a little bit more so that he has the opportunity to show me he knows how to do it because otherwise how would I really know sure if I kept interrupting and yeah there have been a couple of little instances where things haven't turned out perfect and I've known in my head this is going to be a problem and you have to kind of decide when to intervene and when to let him make a small mistake not a mistake that's going to put someone in danger obviously but there are those moments where you kind of have to let somebody do something imperfect. And that's a difficult thing to know how to do and to to measure when you should be holding back and letting someone follow through with something and see what result they get. And when you should be going, okay, stop, stop before you go any further. Because I feel like the more you interrupt, the more you can discredit the person. And they're trying to build trust with the clients as well. So I do like to let him take things as far as he can. But it's definitely been a, a big challenge for me to learn how to let him do everything yeah um that's also been been a challenge for me you can't grow any confidence too if you're being so like wrapped in cotton wool if you're if you're being protected too much you don't get the opportunity to build any confidence because i think confidence comes from overcoming a, a challenge so well talking about your apprentice kind of got us talking about body piercing in general and it's maybe a little bit challenging to to hone in on the thought until we kind of start to jump right in on the thought a problem i'm noticing is in the world post-covid if this even counts as post-covid in a world in a world the the way that i used to work is so different i used to work five or six days a week eight-hour shifts and and that was just kind of the american work mentality you know at, at least 40 hours something like that and now it's like well okay we have more of like a a four-day work week we try to um, shift things around with with scheduling and all that stuff you know sometimes i'm covering for evan sometimes evan's covering for me and that that changes how many hours but it's more of like the the four-day work week instead of the five or six day work week which is great because you have a little bit of time and energy left to to live a life Um, but then there's the whole income dynamic of it 
And I get worried that the people who are just entering this industry now might have maybe an unrealistic expectation of immediate compensation. Like a body piercer is a staff member who is generating income. They're offering a service that generates income for the shop. There are other staff members who are also generating income, salespeople, depending on what the dynamic is of, of your sales team. But I, I think if a piercer or let, let's say a staff member starts at the shop and they're not in a position yet where they're generating income, they're in more of a support system, I think it's probably going to, there, there are going to be some uncomfortable growth moments for the industry coming up over the next year or two. As the next generation comes in and, you know, they want to earn a living wage, yes, but they also want to learn that, uh, you know, earn that like kind of generous wage in a way that, that piercers get. I don't know if I'm articulating this the right way. You mean they want to live the sitcom lifestyle of someone in their mid-twenties in the 90s, you know, like where people would have jobs, like you could work in a coffee shop and you would be able to afford an apartment in Manhattan like yeah, on Friends. Yeah, like on Friends, yeah. <laughs> But it's like, it's a, it's a different world because it's like, well, Shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, yes, you, you want to pay a staff member fairly, but I, I don't know that it can be realistic to pay um, an entry level staff member in the same way that you're paying someone who's doing client services or doing like a higher level of uh, support staff work, whether it's like appointment management, jewelry sales, stuff like that. There's going to be that that entry level staff member that's doing things more like answering the phone and, and cleaning and more observational stuff, and they're still kind of being trained to get to a point. So like raises should be a, a big part of it. Regular raises yeah. should be a, a big part of it. But I, I think that the entry level staff member, like the person out there who wants to get their foot in the door for the industry, who wants to get into a shop with the hopes of maybe one day becoming a piercer or maybe one day becoming an apprentice on their way to being a piercer. Like, I don't I don't know that it's realistic to put the thought in their mind that they're going to get paid like a, a full-time piercer right away. So is that kind of what you were thinking about? Yeah, it's kind of about expectation management because there have been a lot of much-needed conversations in the past few years about um, apprentice abuse and the exploitation of free labor um, and, and all of these kinds of things that have been incredibly important. And I think that obviously nobody should be entering an apprenticeship um, to be treated that way or have their work undervalued in such a way is completely unacceptable. The other side of that conversation is, well, what is acceptable? What's acceptable, what's realistic and what's reasonable? And just because something isn't abusive doesn't mean it might not actually be pretty damn challenging for quite a long period of time. And um, when it comes to getting into a niche community industry like piercing, uh, for this to be something that you do for the rest of your life, there are probably going to be a couple of tough years when you start out, just as basically starting out in any career, there's going to be an overlap period where you're probably going to have to work two jobs. If there's an apprentice out there that's being paid enough of a living wage and gets enough hours doing the job that they do to just work in a studio, you are in such a minority. You are so, so incredibly lucky. That's something that's only going to be applicable to studios that have so much disposable profit that they can take 20 to 40,000 pounds or dollars and put it towards an entry level position. 
Most small businesses that have that amount of disposable profit, if they're wanting to have an extra staff member, they could spend most of that money on hiring somebody that can generate income directly. Now an apprentice, like many support members of staff or auxiliary members of staff, they do generate income. This is something that I've talked about with my apprentice and before he was my apprentice, he was my counter person, is that while they might not directly generate income, they indirectly generate it because they help with sales and they also allow me to do more work because they take a little bit of the work off of my hands and I'm directly generating income that supports the studio. So they do indirectly provide a service, but in the majority of cases, apprentices don't generate enough income to be profitable. They are, they are a financial loss because they're an investment that you're going to spend the time training this person and providing this person with a position that they can grow into and like you say that can have a raise at least annually you would expect just about in any job I mean if you're not getting a raise annually then you're being paid less and less every year against inflation so I just think that it's important to be realistic about entry-level positions in the industry and what really adds value and being able to grow into a position as it fills out around you because I think that that's a conversation that a lot of younger people don't ever really have. And one of the things that we talked to Kale about at BMXNet was about the benefits of being a little bit older when you get into the industry and having a better understanding of what your worth is, um, how to be treated, what to expect at a bare minimum, and how to advocate for yourself a little bit better and say, well, if this is where I'm at just now, where can I be a year from now? You know, and start to plan out and get invested in what your career is and be part of the conversation around your career growth. I think that that's important. So I guess kind of what I was thinking about was just painting a more realistic picture of what that first one to two years might look like. Even if you're in a reasonable position at a good studio, um, you're probably only going to be working part time if what you're doing are kind of bare duties that anybody could be trained to do whilst they grow into the position. I worked two jobs when I started out in the industry. My apprentice has worked two jobs for the last two years and has just gotten to a point now where he's left a few months ago to work full time. Um, And during his progression, as he's been given more tasks to do, um, his wage has altered to reflect that and it'll continue to be altered at least annually. So yeah, in the beginning, it's, it's pretty tiring. It's pretty challenging. It's very, very tough. It's an incredibly competitive field because of the amount of people that want to get into it. And the rewards in those first one to two years are slim to none. So that's kind of what I was wanting to to share, if that makes sense. It does. I don't want to get out of touch with modern economies because I don't want to get to a point where I'm unintentionally shortchanging my my staff because like I go out into the world you go to a grocery store you go to a a a fast food restaurant and you see help wanted signs and and what their advertised starting wage is and it's like wow a a comparable job 10 years ago was nowhere near that and it's because of inflation it's because of like the the general economy and it's like well I, I have to make sure that like I'm remembering that my my business can't exist without my staff members so I want to take care of them, but at the same time, I have to make sure that my my business can remain viable so that everybody can still have those jobs. So it's like this double-edged sword. I think sometimes people are going to have to maybe revisit some of their service fees, 
maybe nudge up your service fee a little bit from time to time and, and use that money to, to provide opportunities for the staff members and um, you know more fair compensation, things like that. I, I just don't think that it would be realistic for someone to say like, I want to leave my whatever sector job and I want to get into body art and I should be able to, to earn a, a livable wage on, on day one. And it's like, well, you might not have the skills to earn the kind of wages that you want on day one because you have to learn all the different skills in the shop. You have to learn the safety elements. You have to learn the different jobs. Like I'm very incremental in the way that people learn in my studio. You start with things like sweeping or cleaning a bathroom or answering a phone and then over time you go into things like working in the processing room and, and doing jewelry sales and eventually doing client services and things like that and all those things should include bumps in pay because uh, it's it's more work done to support the store but I, I don't want to be one of those like older people that's out of touch and be like in my day we earned minimum wage and we we liked it and it's like no we we, we didn't it sucked yeah, no nobody likes it um, I just feel like that there's a part of the conversation, like a realistic part of the conversation that isn't always had. Um, we talk a lot about what's not acceptable, what's completely inappropriate. Um, and in terms of what is acceptable, there's what would be preferred and then there's what's realistic and what you could actually expect. Um, and I think that Yes, in the beginning, if you're starting an apprenticeship, not just in piercing, but in any job that requires an apprenticeship that requires live training, um, the beginning is going to probably suck a little bit for quite a long time. But the best way, I think, to, to kind of remedy that and get through that is take an active interest in, okay, well, if I succeed at this, when can I expect my duties to change? When would it be realistic to review having more tasks added to my job description um, what could I be what could I expect to be compensated for doing this additional work is there going to be an annual review of my wages you know these are reasonable fair enough questions to ask uh, an employer in any job not just in piercing and I think if you are uh, an employer as well and this is again another thing that came up when when we were doing the live podcast at BMXnet is I've had to learn how to be an employer because nobody taught me how to do that and I've been a long-term career self-employed person which means I haven't been employed really by anyone else in a very long time so I've had to learn how to do that job so if like me you're in the early stages of being an employer you have to learn what is fair and what is reasonable and to not just base it on the experience that you had 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I mean, there might be elements of that that you wish to incorporate, but you do have to be realistic about what your business can afford and what you can offer, not mislead anybody. And I think just be frank and straightforward about what the job involves, what the compensation can be, and what's a realistic expectation of, okay, what about a year from now? What about two years from now? Um, I think if you're apprenticing somewhere, you should have a real prospect of being in that studio for many years to come. So I don't think it's unreasonable to say, well, you know, if everything goes well and I'm doing all of this work and I, I do well at it and things progress, what's reasonable for me? So that you can actually have a, a goal to work towards so that when things are tough, you can say, well, 
you know, in six months time or in 10 months time, I'm going to move on and things are going to get a little bit easier and this pressure is going to come down a little bit. I think that that's an important conversation for businesses to be having with their apprentices and vice versa. So um, maybe we could just have some more of those conversations in amongst talking about what's absolutely unacceptable, um, what are realistic expectations of what is acceptable. And I think realistically, in less than 1% of studios, are you going to be able to walk into a a full-time, 40-hour-a-week paid apprenticeship? Right. Um, Unless you're in an absolutely massive studio um, with with many, many members of staff contributing to the profits of that business, I don't think that that's very realistic. Well, because like you said, like if in my studio, if I had the money to hire someone in a paid apprenticeship tomorrow, I I would probably actually rather take that money and hire a, a piercer who can just kind of start on day one and, and get where they want to get. I feel like that's kind of a problem in the industry right now if you look at the piercers out there who are those like traveling guest artists they're super in demand because a studio knows that that's like a really great investment you can hire somebody to come in for a week or two or a month or you know frequent guest guest visits you can pay them and you know that they can do the job or hopefully they can do the job um, when they show up but it's such as you said it's such an investment to train someone from scratch, and there's still no guarantee that that person's actually going to be good at it at the end of the uh, the journey too. So, it's really difficult. Um, I want to make sure that studio out- owners out there are trying to think like, take care of your people, give them opportunities, try to give new people opportunities, try to bring people in when you when you feel like someone's the right fit for your studio. The guest artist thing, like. That can be great too, but studios need resident piercers. Like guest piercers can be a, a, a band-aid for a while, but you need resident piercers and, and sometimes that means you just have to you have to go through the investment of starting someone at the bottom and, and working their way up. And that's what I've always had in mind as a goal with my apprentice. That's something I've always kept in mind is I'm not training him to just be able to do certain tasks or be able to cover a day Mm. when I don't want to work or or that kind of thing I'm training him to have a career in piercing like I have a career in piercing like I've done this job this will be in in 2024 my 14th year as a full-time professional body piercer I've never had a part-time job apart from the first year that I started out working as a piercer when I didn't have the hours to cover the income that I needed to make since then I've done this as my full-time job my full-time career and that's what I'm training I'm training a career Um, and I think that that's something it's good to have at the front of your mind if you have an apprentice if you're thinking about taking on an apprentice those are important things to keep in mind it is an enormous sacrifice of time and it's a gamble because either person could walk away at any moment as well I mean obviously I'm not I'm not going to Jordan's not allowed to he's Mm. been told that um so there's there's this enormous sense of trust as well that you have to have and that's why uh, we spent a year of just having Jordan work the front counter before apprenticing and I said when I hired him initially I want you to do this job for a year if you can and if you're still enjoying it after a year and you want to learn more and you're enjoying the clients and the work then we can look at getting an apprenticeship for you Um, but I would never at this point I mean I'll probably never have an apprentice again but if I if I were to 
that's again how I would do it. I couldn't imagine going in cold with somebody um, without really knowing that person at all um, or having or them having any idea what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. Um, so I, I probably won't have another apprentice, but for anyone who's thinking about it, I would definitely say, you know, leaning into to desk work and learning as much as you can about front of house work. And again, that's a full time job in and of itself. And if at the end of it, he'd said, you know what, I think I just want to work the desk, that would have been fine. That would have been totally OK as well. Um, but I think that's why it's good to learn that role first to kind of find out where you fit, where you feel like you fit. Not to get too far down it and maybe we'll just touch on a couple of things like you also hear people out there saying like well toxic work environment toxic work environment and i i get that sometimes that's not all like interpersonal dynamics sometimes it's like you know pay rates and and all those things um i would just like to say that like we are far beyond the point where you can expect someone to just answer your phone and do all that stuff for free with the hope of maybe getting trained one day like i i don't think that apprenticeships should be non-compensated anymore um like i would see it as like well you know maybe your your role is is getting paid to do the desk and then maybe if you want to you know stay uh stay after or come in on off days for some observation and like you know that will work towards an apprenticeship but i really don't want to see people just like working for free with the hopes of maybe getting trained and maybe getting a a, a you know money generating career eventually like, I think if someone's working in your studio, they need to be paid. They need to be compensated in your studio. And if you're an employer out there who's still trying to get away with that model, you're also kind of screwing yourself over as a, as a, as a business owner because, like, you want the deduction. You want to be able to have that person on payroll getting compensated and then, like, you have that as a tax deduction. So um, I, I would just like to get to a point where it's, it's a little bit more fair for everybody and just be clear about it. Like you're getting compensated this much for this level of work. And then if you're doing more work in the future, then you should, you know, revisit your, your compensation with your employer. And just to clear up something that you mentioned about observation as well, another word for that you sometimes will hear is shadowing. Mm -hmm. So the difference between shadowing and other forms of apprentice work or any other kind of paid work that you might be doing is that if you're observing or if you're shadowing that's what you're doing you're observing or shadowing you're not doing your regular job you're yeah. not doing your regular tasks so that's an important difference to make it's not really shadowing or observation if you're doing the work that you would normally be doing but not being paid yeah so um you know i don't anymore have any shadowing really go on in the studio like Jordan knows he has the option to shadow if he wants but we're there both together full time now anyway so it's irrelevant before I would have absolutely had shadowing and I never in my mind felt that there was an issue with shadowing with observation but listening to a lot of people's stories over the past few years and people talking about their experiences and things I don't know how comfortable I would feel having somebody shadow anymore um, and that's something that I've changed my opinion on since really learning about being an employer and kind of learning more about that new side of my job because that's what it is it's a new side of my job that I've had to learn how to do um, I think I, I don't know how comfortable I would feel with it and I think if someone is worth having there they should be compensated and that keeps it nice and easy even when um, you know there's been times that I've been doing well I've been doing work on building a second studio as you know and um, any time that Jordan's helped me with that assisted me with that it's been paid work it's been paid time yeah when Rob was apprenticing 
he was also the counterperson. And basically, like, the, the, the system that we had was, like, if you're here uh, working, you're getting paid. Um, and, like, you know, I'll, I'll certainly train you and you could certainly, you know, observe and, and help and all that stuff, like, in, in spare time. But it's like, if you're here to work, you're here to work. But if you're working, you're getting paid to work. Um, if you wanted to like learn some extra stuff and just like you wanted to stay uh, when your shift is over and like watch a piercing because you're just interested in it, that's fine. But you're not going to be answering the phone and emptying the trash and doing all this extra stuff too. Like you really need to understand what what the roles are in the shop and, and make sure that people are, are fairly and, and appropriately compensated for them. Yeah, I just wanted to um, again reiterate that not just from the perspective of the apprentice, but from the perspective of the mentor, the employer, um, that's a role that we're not typically trained to do. And it's a role that we have to grow into and that we often make mistakes at and have to get better at. And that's definitely something that I've had to do the last few years. So I just think, again, something that isn't talked about very much. I think we all assume that, well, I know how to pierce, so I know how to teach and I know how to be a boss and a manager and all of this stuff. And they're very different roles, very different dynamics. And it does take, um, finesse to learn how to do those different things and navigate those different things and I've had to learn how to do that so if you're a piercer that has a lot of experience piercing if you're very confident with your job try and be humble enough to admit when you're not doing every aspect of it brilliantly and that includes being an employer and you have to be open to be like I should be doing a better job at this you know and learn how to do those things it's you're never too old to learn to do that I definitely had years in my shop where I was just like a piercer trying to keep the lights on and trying to get the bills paid and uh, over the last several years like I I'm focusing a lot more on the office than in the the piercing room and I, I had to learn so much to, to manage the studio but not just for myself but to manage it for the, for the other staff members too so I kind of want to wrap up that part of the conversation maybe start to wind it down a little bit and maybe we can hit on one or two other things from the year one thing that I want to remind people that is still free out there is your really brilliant class, Predicting and Preventing Predatory Behavior. You recorded your presentation and we made it uh, available uh, completely for free for everybody on my Patreon. So patreon.com slash ryanpba has loads of the, the paid content, but you can get that class completely for free there. It's a really important subject and I, I just want to remind people that it's, that it's still out there as a, a free resource. And I just want to kind of um, give you some flowers for being thoughtful flowers? enough. I like flowers. Yeah. For, for being thoughtful enough to, to write it and articulate it. And I, I, I've seen a lot of people uh, take the class and, and change their mentality and, and to really help them kind of think about what they can do to protect, uh, you know, the, the, the people in their studio, but people in the, the community uh, overall. Um, and it's just a, a really good resource for people, I think. Well, I really appreciate anyone that's taken the time to watch it. Um, it was definitely a very scary class for me to make because uh, the class originated when I started writing my PA class, my Prince Albert class. Um, I was trying to think of how to open the class and then I thought, well, I don't really want to be helping anybody learn how to do an intimate piercing without them first understanding some of the, the potential risks they're taking on in doing that and how to, to navigate those risks. And then that's kind of how it developed as a, as a whole supplement to the class. and. Um, any time I've performed it before has been in front of 
a live audience, basically, where I think it's a lot easier to articulate certain thoughts or to take a moment or rephrase something and make sure that people don't misunderstand what you're saying. Whereas sitting down to record something like that's a lot more intimidating because it makes you dissect every word, every phrase. Oh, I hope this doesn't sound wrong or I hope I'm not implying this. And, you know, so it was, it was definitely a lot more stressful. And I think in the end, what pushed me to do it along with you telling me that I should do it all the time, was thinking like, well, worst case scenario, someone's gonna disagree and shred me about this. But best case scenario, somebody actually really benefits from this and it makes somebody safer and less likely to have a nasty experience. And really that's all that should matter, not me being upset that somebody's gonna have a go at me. Like if anybody doesn't like it, they don't like it, but somebody might be helped by it. And that's what matters the most. Like that's the most important thing in all of it. It's passive knowledge too. It just, it helps your understanding when you get those potentially creepy phone calls, potentially creepy emails. They're not quite as scary. They're not quite as intimidating. It's just kind of like, well, you know, I don't have to assume that this person is a predator, (laughs) but maybe just the way that they phrase it, it's just, it comes from a place of them not knowing how to communicate with a body piercer. So it also helps you kind of dial in your response and the way that you communicate back or communicate openly with clientele. Um, And it really helps to kind of protect them and protect you and to to set firm boundaries and all those different things. So I'm not going to say that like all those scary people are are out there and they're coming to get you. It really just helps you um, communicate better. So speaking of potentially uncomfortable moments with intimate piercings, you had your own um, little moment when you were traveling back from UKPP, I think it was, um, regarding your your downstairs jingle jangles. Yeah, so... um, Yeah. 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 So... uh, UKAPP was in Manchester and there's a big international airport so I went straight home from there and when when you think large international airport you would think like professional staff um, that has kind of seen it all like if you go through TSA in Boston those people are so jaded and it's like you can throw almost any scenario at them and they're gonna be like oh yeah okay let's just do this this is commonplace we've seen this a thousand times before I went through the body scanner and in Manchester um, the body scanner you're you're required to like really have your legs kind of far apart when you go through the scanner and it immediately picked up on all my as you say downstairs jingle jangles Mm -hmm. and I mean it's basically like a keychain worth of metal uh, hanging off of me sounds like Santa Claus is coming yeah you know it's like yeah basically and this poor fucking kid he he must have been like i don't know 21 something like that and you know he he was kind of going into it from a jaded position being like oh do you have some some coins in your pocket and i was like nope and he's like do you have metal in your pocket and i was like not in my pocket and then he just (laughs) gave me this like double take and i had to like watch the expression on his face change as he figured out what i was trying to like subtly tell him and he didn't know what to do he so he took like the hand uh, the hand wand passed it over me and was like beep beep you know like pretty pretty significant and he's like i don't know what to do and i was like well look man like what they do in the states is they do um they do a pat down with the back of the hand just to make sure that you're not like hiding a gun in your pants or something like that and then like you're on your way that's happened to me loads of times in the states you go through and they're just like oh yeah we get it you have piercings just like 
dozens or hundreds of people a day that, that go through an airport. Um, but this, this kid just didn't know what to do. He called over his supervisor and his supervisor didn't even know what to do. And he just stood at, and he's just like, well, look, man, if you can't go through the scanner, you can't come through security and get on your plane. And I was like, well, what do you do if like, I was like, what, are you going to pull me off somewhere? And like, we'll do a visual check. And he's like, nope, we don't do that here. And I was like, well, what would you do if it was somebody with like a metal hip? And he's like, well, you know, it's it's just, it's obvious what that is. And it's like, well, it's not like you're going to cut somebody's hip open and like inspect the metal. So it's like, what are we going to do, buddy? Because I got a, I got a plane to catch. And then um, he, he was just like, just standing there. And I was like, look, man, I'm not upset at you, but this is a bad policy. Like you're going to have people with piercings mm-hmm. coming through this airport regularly. You need to have like a policy to, to work this stuff out. And then he just like whispered really quietly. He's just like... I hate this job, man. This is a terrible job. And I was like, I know, man, but we got to we got to figure this out. So basically, I had to have the two guys bring me into like a private strip search room. And um like they all they also had that like panic on their face where it's mm-hmm. like I don't want to have to look at this guy's junk. And I was like, don't worry, man. I'm not going to have to like, you know, pull my bag out or anything. But like what I had to do was I had to like pull down my pants, leave my underpants on, and then I just grabbed my downstairs and just gave it a good shake. And it was basically like, you know, you know, like, a, like shaking a keychain or something. And I was like, can, can you, can you guys get it, get what it is? And it's like, you, you see that I don't have like, you know, a, a length of chain hidden in my underpants. And, um, like they finally let me through, but it was like, it was really frustrating. It was pretty hilarious because like they were just so awkward and intimidated by it. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. This isn't my first rodeo and this isn't my first time getting an extra search at an airport. But um, I was pretty surprised that they had never encountered anything like that before ever in a massive international airport. Mm. And that their policy would be, well, if you can't go through the scanner without it going off, because lots of people, I set off the scanner all the time and it makes me really worried why, because it always shows up at some mystery spot in my abdomen where there is no metal, but it happens all the time. So that notion of it well you everyone has to go through the scanner without saying it off is is totally not true they have to be able to identify what it is without without any kind of reasonable doubt i totally understand that but um i think that yeah they were just in a little bit of a panic as to to what to do Uh, a lot of times when i go through like I, i travel with pants that'll have like you know zips on the pockets or or whatever some sort of metal and a lot of times when you go through those scanners it's like the generic outline of a body and then there'll be like the yellow box wherever it picked up metal somewhere and a lot of times it'll just be over like one side of my pocket and they'll just be like oh yeah you have a zip there and it's like okay fine if that's all you want to think it is then that's fine let me go but this one was a big yellow box right over my crotch (laughs) and the guy just looked at it and he's just like do you have metal in your pocket and i was like not in my pocket and it was just like it was a really funny moment um, but I'm glad that I got to at least get on the flight. Yeah. Um, I haven't had anything like that happen. I, I usually get frisked pretty thoroughly at the airport again, cause I wear dungarees usually, which set everything off cause they have pin badges and buckles and I'm like, I, I don't care. Just give me the, you know, pat me down and then send me on my way. Um, I usually get my hair inspected though. More often than not, I'll get a, a frisking of the hair going on, which I understand cause I got a lot of hair. Um, so I'll get the, like they might like squeeze on my braids yeah but everything that you're saying is based on an airport policy because they know how to like deal with people in similar scenarios like i would imagine people with like big hair buns dreadlocks i'm sure that they've gotten like hair pat downs before too 
But what I was so shocked at was just that they had no policy in yeah. place. And it's like, what do you expect me to do? I, I did uh, six ball bag piercings on a guy, three and three and then another three. And, um, and he was an airline pilot. And I told him your story and he thought it was very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad somebody enjoyed it. So how do you want to wrap this up? Or do you want to just pull a plug on it now? What else is on your little list? That's pretty much it. 2023 was a fine year, but I'm still just kind of like, I don't, I don't know how to sugarcoat it. It was the year that was 2023. Yeah, it sure happened. It was a year after 2022. It wasn't a great year. It wasn't the worst year. Uh, I feel like it was like, if you made it to the end of this year, you deserve a pat on the back. And I just want to say that like, um, good job. Like I really, like, I, I don't mean to make that, make that in a cheesy way. It's like, if you made it to the end of the year, that's an accomplishment and you should feel proud that your business is still open, that you're still breathing, that you're still waking up every day and you're, you're getting through the day. Like things aren't great. Um, I, you know, things aren't great for you most days. Things aren't great for me most days, but like, we're still here. We're still kicking. Um, and we made it through another year. So that's really like the main point that I would like to, to make is like, we did it. You did it. Um, and I want to just say like, whoever you are out there, you did it too. And I'm proud of you for making it to the end. And I know it probably wasn't that easy. Um, 2023 is like the oceans 12 of the, of the years. It's no one's favorite. No one loved it, but it's out there. It exists. And, uh, and we're still, we're still waiting on our oceans 13. Yeah. Moment I, I don't, happen. I don't know that people out there are going to get the reference, but well, um, we watch oceans 11 and oceans 13 like monthly probably yeah um so oceans oceans 12 was very much my 2023 it just it had to happen for me to get to 2024 but i did it um i've had uh, an enormous workload the last few months opening up forest 2 which will hopefully be open in the next couple of months which sounds like a long time but it's already been a couple of months it's already been about four months of work um so we can talk about that another time on another episode but um that's kind of what i'm going to be focusing on is just trying to remember that i'm over the hill um and there's still a lot of hill left but i'm over that particular hill and hopefully um in the next couple of months i can get um the studio open and running and we can maybe talk about that experience a little bit more sure um but that's pretty much where i'm at I don't, I don't have any expectations for 2024. I have some concerns that it's going to suck in a lot of different ways, but uh, I'm not giving up, and I don't want you to either. I won't. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to an upbeat episode of the Piercing Wizard podcast. Um, I hope that your 2023 wasn't utter shit, and I hope that you will stick with us through 2024. Um we look forward to seeing you out there in the world at uh, maybe a, a conference or just something joyful out there in the world. Anything you want to end by saying? Go and see Minus One if you get yeah, the chance. Godzilla Go see Godzilla Minus one. one. It was the highlight of, I think, both of our years. It was so good. Yeah. It was such a good movie. If you get the chance to see it in the cinema, you totally should. That's yeah. my advice. Okay. That's good advice. Okay. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. We'll see you next year. Happy New Year!
For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>